Hello, this is Leela Viss, and welcome to Key Ideas. Piano teaching doesn't come bundled with ready-made solutions. This podcast highlights some brilliant options for innovative piano teachers just like you. Today, I share this spotlight episode with good friend Charlene Shelsey. Charlene and I met about 20 years ago at an NCKP conference. In fact, I don't remember a conference that I haven't seen Charlene. And she's one of the few teachers who gets away with a first-name-only status, just like Cher. At one of her countless conference sessions, Charlene introduced me to the concept of music money. She gets all the credit for why I pay my students when they show their smarts and why I bribe them when I want to push them to a new skill level. Charlene belongs to a three-team teacher collaboration called Three Cranky Women, or TCW. I credit their theory books and resources for making theory fun. Yes, fun. And their fabric keyboard is one of the crown jewels in my extensive manipulative collection. Thanks to talking to Charlene at the right time and at the right place, I made the right connections and taught piano on my very first cruise. When shining a spotlight on the effervescent Charlene, it's hard to know where to point it because it's important to make these podcasts an efficient use of your time. I've asked Charlene to narrow down our discussion to two major features of her studio that sets it apart. First, I want to know how she inspires dedicated students with her exclusive club piano. And next, I really want to know how she inspires musicality in her students. They play with such passion, just like their teacher. Before we get started, here's more about Charlene. Charlene Shelsey Jarvis is an independent piano teacher residing in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's co-authored numerous piano teaching materials as co-owner of TCW Resources, Three Cranky Women, which are internationally published through the Neil H. Schultz Music Company. Charlene is a former faculty member of the Utah State University Youth Conservatory and adjunct music faculty. She's past president of the Utah MTA chapter and has presented at the MTNA National Conference, National Conference on Keyboard Pedagogy, and repeatedly at the Music Ed Connect, as well as numerous state conferences. Since her arrival in Arizona, Charlene directed the inaugural Arizona Youth Piano Competition. She's active in the Phoenix Music Teachers Association and served on the state board as editor of the Allstate Publications. She's one of the very few to be selected as a featured teacher for the Yamaha Passport to Music program, which teaches piano on the Crystal Cruise Line. This has sent her all over the world, teaching what she loves with students from over 30 countries. Charlene studied at BYU-Idaho and Utah State University, where she was a student of Gary Amano. She's active as a clinician, adjudicator, and performer. Before a grisly ankle injury, including a ladder, balloons, and five-inch wedges, she had been running marathons in her spare time, 21 to date. However, she's now running after her three darling grandsons and a husband to stay fit. Now, here's Leela's conversation with Charlene. Charlene, it's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. It's just fabulous. And thank you for joining me here today. And we are just going to charge right into my two big questions. 
we have seen you on Facebook and we have seen your students play on Facebook and we're all wondering the same thing. We want to know what Shars Piano Club, is that what it's called? Well, kind of. I started out as Shars Club Piano and then I just decided that was too long and just went to club piano because that was easier and it sounded cooler, like kind of like club med, club piano. It does. Way cooler. So just made it shorter. And I even have the, you know, clubpiano.com. I even have the whole, I was lucky that I own that even. So that's pretty cool too. Um, So what started that was I was annoyed a few years ago when my students were doing a million things. A million. I'm sure everybody else's students were doing a million things too. And they were doing all these sport things. And I had this student that was playing in a huge ensemble concert. And we had this discussion. She had to go to this rehearsal. And the parent said, well, do you know how much money I play, pay for her to play in club volleyball? She can't miss that. And as I stood there and was talking to her, she had committed to this rehearsal nine months previously. I thought, oh my gosh, number one, I'm not charging enough. And number two, really, I am doing so many things more than the average piano teacher does. This is not a once a week week gig for me. My students are doing stuff all the time. I should just change my model and have it be a club piano. And it's not just, it's not just a, you know, a normal thing, but it's a, it's more exclusive for those kids who really want to put in a little more effort. Those are the ones who get to come to club piano. So that's what started club piano. It's brilliant. And it makes you feel elite if you're part of it. Yes. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal. So I always, when I interview or talk to people, I always say, you know, it's not everybody gets in. So they feel like, what? <laughs> what? That's and it's not, about, it's not about talent or what, that word, which I really don't like much anymore, right? mm-hmm. um, or natural ability or whatever you want to call it. Because uh, for me, those kids are a dime a dozen and they don't always work very hard. So I'd rather have a hard worker than someone who doesn't want to practice very much and thinks they can just naturally fake it. So... You know, if you hold them to a higher standard and you tell them it's harder to get in, you know what? They're going to be like, oh, I want to get in. This is like a cooler thing. It's the scarcity mentality. So we all want to know what it takes to get into club piano. Well, first, it takes an interview. It takes a call me up on the phone, usually, or a text message. It's not that hard. And then (laughs) I, I usually reply with, you know, visit my website. And um, if you're still interested, after you read all of those things, call me back or text me, or, and then we'll schedule an interview. And about 50% of people do not call me back, which is great. <laughs> it's great. Such a great time saver. It means I do not have to waste my time with an interview with somebody who does not want to put in the work and doesn't want to practice. Let's hold there just for a second, because I did go and visit your website. And I was impressed. And one of the things that I noticed right away is you laid it all out very clearly what you expect and you have your prices there. 
Yep. And I know people go back and forth about that, but I'm with you completely. That's how you weed out the people that aren't, aren't interested, correct? Because yeah. you- And then, they want to know. I don't want to have yes. to sell myself. Correct. I do not want to have to sell myself. So this is what I charge. And if you don't like it, uh, you know, there's a ton of piano teachers. Go someplace else. I might not be for you. But thank you for thinking of- comparing it to a club sport, because I think that will help a lot of piano teachers use that mentality instead. You know, it's usually just us. We're our own little CEO, our own little company. And now you've just made this sound like something more. Well, I shouldn't even say that, but it really is. It it just upped the bar just that much more. Well, I think I, I started looking at what I was getting in my studio as transfer students. And I knew that a lot of the kids that were coming to me were just going once a week and weren't doing anything else. And my kiddos, we do a lot. We have, we have things happening all the time and um, I expect them all to do it. (laughs) All right. So number one, it, it pretty much takes a hard worker. It doesn't depend anything on what their innate ability could be. And then number two, when they're in, what are you doing? What does that mean besides coming once a week for a piano lesson? What else are they doing? Well, the next thing, well, the first thing, of course, that exclusivity is important. And then the parents have to be great. I'm not going to deal with crummy parents. So I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) So part of the interview process is nice parents. If the parents are obnoxious, you know, it's over. So... (laughs) And I'm sure teachers know that too. Um, But the next thing is um, when they get in, I require them to practice and I keep track of their practicing. And it's like a, that's a big, big deal for me. And I ask them first thing when they come in about their practicing. Um, And for me, practicing isn't about minutes. It's about uh, repetitions of doing something so many times correctly and practicing with a purpose. And, teaching them how to do that. I don't really care if you sit down at the piano for hours and hours at a time. If you're sitting there messing around and like not starting at the beginning and going to the end and repeating the same mistakes, you're not accomplishing a whole lot. I always say this because, you know, that's what I did when I was a kid. (laughs) My mom would turn the timer on and I could do whatever I wanted. She had no clue. All I had to do was sit there and mess around and I could just do whatever. So I had no clue how to practice. So my, anyway, my kiddos know what to do. I give them a nice list and tell them exactly what to do and how to do it. And then I ask them specifically if they've done it and we keep track. And when they haven't done something, does, now, first of all, do they call you Miss Charlene? Is that what they call they you? Miss, Miss Charlene. How or does Miss Charlene? Miss Charlene or just, or just Charlene or, or my good buddies call me Char. So, you know, okay. I'm pretty loosey-goosey about that stuff. The little kids, though, are, it's always Miss Charlene. So how does Miss Charlene react to a student who has come in and has not practiced what they were supposed to? Well, it depends, to be honest. If it's a brand new beginner that has come and it's only been a couple of lessons, you know, we talk about, oh, tell me what your week has been like. And we talk about what all of... That means it's been kind of crazy and gosh, you can't always get that finished. I totally get it. No big deal. So these are your options. If you want to go for this reward, because I offer lots of fun rewards for them. One of them is to get full practice for the whole month. They get a $10 cash reward, a cash rebate with real money. 
you got to make that practicing up. But of course, you don't have to do that. <laughs> but if you want to, that's what you need to do. So, but you know, if you were gone for a week, that would might be kind of hard. So no big deal. We'll start fresh next month. And I'm really not a big deal. I'm pretty loosey goosey. Oh, okay. So they can always they can they, always do extra something to get got made it within within reason. Here's what they can't do. <laughs> because I always have kids that try this. They want I have kids that want to cram all their practicing in on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work. That's kind of like, you know, I don't know, let's never brush our teeth. And then two days before you go to the dentist, let's put your teeth <laughs> 10 hours. Hmm, not very effective. See what I mean? So you're not going to get the benefits of daily practice if you only practice two days a week. So you cannot put, you cannot do all your repetitions in two days. You can't do it. So that doesn't work. And they try. Right. Now, do, have you talked with them and do you help them schedule their practice during the week or do you tell them, go figure it out when you're going to practice Sometimes. and show me a schedule? Sometimes, sometimes my young, my young beginners, I, I do a lot of that. Um, the parents, when they, we first start, they're usually pretty involved with what they're doing, but I'm really clear on what to do and how to do it. And I give really specific instructions on how we're going to practice to do this. And lots of times the kids, when they're at home, if they don't understand something, technology is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll send me a Marco Polo or a video and I'll send a quick reply. Oh, you almost have it. Try it this way. And that helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. So that makes things so much better. I'm sure we would be interested in what you prepare your students with. Do you, do you give out any of the, that information to interested teachers on how you prepare your practicers and how you instruct them? Well, how I instruct them to practice? Yeah. Um, you said you gave them a list. Oh, usually, sure. They, well, they have a, they all have a binder, and it, and I fill that baby up. I, and I'm a, I'm a handwriter. I'm not a typer, because um, I, I mean, I'm a typer. I, to, I can type every day, but it works better for my brain to write everything down. And um, then the students keep track of their practice log, and they mark tallies of how many times they do everything perfect. For example, got it. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. They have the left-hand side of their binder. They keep track of all of their technique. So they, they might have arpeggio work, um, five-finger patterns or scale work, chord work, transposition work. That's all on that side. And then the right-hand side is repertoire work. And I might assign them in uh, the repertoire practice measures 8 through 12, 50 times perfect on the first day. Ooh. Oh, and they do that. They do that. What? Yeah. <laughs> I go, Okay. <laughs> it's so long. I said, okay, should we just do it a couple minutes? And then we, you know, do an example. And they realize that's really not going to take them more than like five minutes or 10 minutes. To right. use. Ah, so 50 is the magic number. Oh no. Sometimes I've done a hundred or 200. Oh, wow. Yeah. And lots of times, well, when they're the teenagers, they know that that's can be a big number. Yeah. The right. little kids, you know, They'll say, we'll start with 10 or 15 or 20. But if I ask them how many times perfect and they come back with a really lame number, like three or four, I'm like, oh, try again. Because if you come up with a really low number, I'm going to give you a really high number. So, you know, let's, let's do a better one. Right. So it sounds like they have somewhat a, of an input into what their practice is going to be like and you train them along the way, but they also know what they signed up for. 
So they know that you're going to put pressure on them. So I, I like that because then it's really not you being the mean teacher. You are just running a tight ship because this is what they asked for, yes, so to speak. The parents are awesome because um, they all back me up. Right. Really great. And I, I let them know that I really need you to back me up. So if your kid's telling me a different story than what I'm hearing, I need to have really great communication. And the parents always come in. Yeah, that's not what's happening at home. And they'll, it's, it's great. And they, yeah. and they do that. So, yeah, I, you know, excellence is important to me. So that's the the next thing I try to do when they come to their lessons, I make sure that I hold them to a high standard, even when they're little, they have to do, they just have to get things to a high um, expectation. They have to have correct dose. They have to have correct counting, you know, they have to have pretty good hand position to move move forward. What's interesting is when you teach that to them in a way that is what beneficial for them in a friendly way. I can tell that you're a lot of fun. You're not going to have that ruler out. Never. <laughs> but the, the point being is they learn from you how to judge how they're doing themselves. And I'm sure you see that with your older students. Then they are already self-diagnosing what they need. For sure. And we actually talk about that a lot too. And I'm sure so, so many of these things that we're, you and I are talking about today, so many of these teachers, I'm sure are doing all of these things already too, but you know, asking questions is the best way for them to learn. How did you think you did today, Susie? Correct. <laughs> and sometimes it's, I was awesome. <laughs> and other times it's like, oh, not so great. You know. And I think that's a great point. I try not to react after they've played. And before I say anything, well, how did it go? What do you think? And, I, and not to be a negative, I, I'm not going to give something negative to them, but I, I want to hear what they're thinking. You know, did they meet their expectations or do they know that they could do better? Because really, we want them to please themselves. It's, piano is not about teaching or pleasing us. Right, right. I, I had this cute boy that I've taught since he was seven. And he, last week he played and um, I didn't know what to say. No, in such a good, he played so musically, like he'd never played before ever. And I sat there and I looked at him. I I was kind of speechless. And he looked at me like, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? (laughs) And um, I said, no, this is a really a good thing. And the more we talked about it, he just said, oh, I I just felt things a little different this time. I actually cared about my notes. It was, it was awesome. Well, we all have those fun breakthroughs, aren't they? It is fun. It is fun. I know. Well, okay. So we've talked about the exclusivity of your club piano, and we've talked about the excellence. That is very clear what Miss Charlene expects. And now we, uh, you have another E, experiences. So tell us about experiences. Well, in my, um, in my life, <laughs> I'm kind of a procrastinator. I've learned this about myself and I've discovered that what motivates myself the most is if I don't have a goal, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So, and I found my students are like this too. So the more experiences that I offer for them to do, the more and the faster they're going to, they're going to progress and they're going to get better. So if nothing's expected of them, they are not going to rise anywhere. So I just expect a lot and I give them a lot to do. So we have, um, 
five big performance experiences, opportunities for them all year long. And then they have group lessons where they can perform for each other. So they get a lot of opportunities to perform. They compose. I make them, I make them compose each year because um, I think that's such a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. And it teaches me um, what they know and what they don't know. (laughs) Because when I think they understand something and they come away and think, wow, they really don't get it right there that their connections not there so anyway those experiences get them to keep doing important things so the more experiences they have the more they progress which oh my gosh it's like it's like that treadmill the mouse on the treadmill they just get better and better and better they feel better about themselves because they're doing so many things and they're just improving all the time it's it's just a win for everybody and they also learn what it takes to prepare for the next thing. Yes. Yes. Mm. I, yes. I actually have a young lady that um, just kept not doing so great on her performances. And she didn't want to ever perform again. So um, she did, we have a, have a creative project that comes up in the fall. And so I suggested her project be on memorizing what to do. And I said, maybe your, pro- maybe your problem is... Um, you just kind of wait until two weeks before <laughs> and then perform. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what it is. So why, why don't we like, why don't we try and experiment? And so that's what we did. We, she actually learned a piece like for several months and she, so for the past six months, she started memorizing and having pieces for a really long time. And wouldn't you know it, you know, she's performing a lot more. And every time she performs, her memory lapses are like, hardly ever there longer oh that is a neat story that's a really good idea Mm. yeah it's not she's not feeling like she can't do it she just needed to you know actually but you let her experience it instead of just telling her and say we're going to do this let's try this she had to trust me which was a little hard that's a really neat neat way to think about it so your fourth E is every day. So let's hear about every day, really. Your well, piano students practice every day. Well, yes and no. So here's what I expect. I actually expect um, six days a week for everyone. And one of those days can be their theory day, which means they work in their theory book. And I give them a good 30 minutes of theory every week. So, and they all do their theory and they're pretty happy campers about that. Um, but the last two years, I've been doing these 100-day practice challenges, practice streak. And let me tell you, that is the bomb. It is just the best thing out there. And when the teenagers come after they do it and say, this is so great. Can we do it again? And I love the practice streak. You kind of know that you're hit on gold. It's just yeah. the best. So here's what the practice streak is. Um, my students all have the app Marco Polo which is a free, they have a free version, of course, and then, of course, you can now upgrade to a more expensive, you know, their subscription. Um, I have upgrades to their subscription because I do like the feature where I can um, fast forward three times so I can hear them play their things three times, at the three times the speed. Okay. (laughs) I feel a little easier. (laughs) But uh, what's great about Marco Polo is when they record themselves, um, it sends their recording right up. It's live. Mm-hmm. So it's all fun. 
So I put my high schoolers and my, you know, eighth and ninth graders uh, in two different groups. And um, they're all in these groups where they see each other practicing. And if they miss a day of practicing, they're out. They're mm -hmm. out of the street. It's kind of ruthless. It's like either you do it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have to do their whole practicing. I'm, I'm kind of loosey-goosey on it. They have, you know, of course, their list of all their technique and all their repertoire that they're supposed to do every day normal. But to be in the streak, they only have to do their technique assignment and one repertoire piece, just one. That's it. So, because technique is like, dude, you just have to do your technique. That's the most important thing. And one, and so we choose which piece is going to be on the streak. And I usually pick the one that's their worst so they can work the hardest on it. And I'm telling you, when their friends are all watching them practice, they are practicing like crazy. And they're, they're putting in like, I don't know, sometimes between 20 to 40 minutes a day, each of them on these Marco Polos with their practicing, which is kind of fun. So what I'm hearing is for this 100-day practice streak, they have to do their technique assignment. And then does that piece change from week to week or are they yeah. using, right, okay. So the, the repertoire can change and so will the technique, but it, to count for a day of practice, they have to do their technique and at least one of their pieces. Correct. And it has to be recorded. Yep. And I even bought a cheesy roll up piano, you know, those corny, like this, I just yeah. on Amazon. I bought two for my studio and I'm like, if you go on vacation, I don't care. Borrow my roll up piano, <laughs> take it with you. You can use that. It's not amazing, but you can, and I have, I've had kids take, go hiking and they take a piano and they're recording while they're out in the middle of wherever. Oh. I had one go to Disneyland and go practice in a closet when she's at the Disneyland hotel, you know, and they're still, they're doing it, trying to be really quiet. I had one, um, just last week, panic. The mom called, seriously, we're not going to make it home because we're stranded because of airline problems in Denver. And we can't start on the street. So we're going to go down and practice on the piano in the Marriott. Oh, funny. I know. But it's pretty wow. great. Mm. I could see using Tanara. I'm, I'm using that now. And there's a lot of options for grouping students together and seeing how each other is doing. And the studies show that social incentives and seeing what others are doing and the opinion of others really does motivate. So you have hooked into that. Very good. Pat yourself on the back for that one. It would be interesting to do a hundred day streak it's what, pretty with great. other studios too. Have you ever done, have you? I have not done that. Mm. Here's, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that parents want to get involved and give reasons why their kid didn't do it and let them slide. And I've had to be a real jerk this time and say, you know, you're all old enough. I'm happy to include your parents in this group, but part of like doing a hundred days or running a marathon or whatever is you actually have to do it. So right. I'll include somebody else in the, in the street, you know, so just in case you have technology failure, you know, so you can record on a different device, but you, you have to do it. You can't tell me that you're, you ran out of juice and you couldn't plug your phone. Oh, in. so they have to record. That's one of the prerequisites. Mm. It has to be done in the 24 hours. Otherwise, they want to do this. Can I make it up? And uh -huh. I want to I'm going to send you a video. Yeah, but then that's no longer a streak. It's not every day. Ooh, okay. And do you, 
do you always run a hundred day streak or does it start and then stop and then you're off for a while? And- I start, I, I do it as a big group. So we all started um, September 8th and I stop it the day before my Christmas recital. And I, we have my, I have a Halloween recital in the middle there too. And then I'm going to do another one the next um, semester and I'll start at the end of January and it will stop the day before this spring recital or before they play for judges. So, so if others wanted to join in on this 100-day practice streak, that would be kind of a fun thing to do and we could all learn from Charlene. Here's another thing that I was thinking about is I think us piano teachers should jump on that 100-day practice streak. I think that would be good for all of us. Wouldn't that be fun? It well, would I be kind of fun. With my students too. And they got to see me practicing. And let me tell you, they were like, wow, you can't actually play your scales perfect the first time. I'm like, you're right. I can't. <laughs> I can't. It takes me about 20 times sometimes. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. All right. I'm inspired. Let's go to your fifth E, which is encouragement. So tell us about that. Well, you know, I think being honest to your students is really important. So um, telling them as a cheerleader, you are so great. I really appreciate all the great things that you're doing. I always like to try to focus on the positive of the good things they're doing. Um, So especially while they're doing this great practice streak, we focus on this is great. I really appreciate specifically in this measure that you're doing this really great. Um, At the same time, your encouragement can't be fake. You can't be just, oh, good job. It has to be specific. And um, you also, for me, I also feel real strongly about being honest too. I'm not a believer in telling them they're great when they're not great. <laughs> so they all know, <laughs> they all know that if they don't do well, I'm not going to sugarcoat them and tell them they're not, you know, fantastic. So they know that if they're getting if they're getting really great encouragement that it's real and it's honest and it's true. So I, I feel like encouraging them um, in an honest way is really important. So you have to give them both the positive and you have to give them the truth, but you have to make sure you do it in the right way. And that is a, a very important role of a piano teacher. And it sounds like you establish a relationship immediately. And so they do have that trust with you. So when you have to diss them, so to speak, they probably already know what you're going to say. Don't sometimes, you think? So, sometimes, yes. And I usually do things like, you know, I pay them music money. So I usually do things like, seriously, you've had this whatever for such a long time. Okay. <laughs> if you do it perfect next week, I'll give you a $200 bonus. What? Really? <laughs> then they're like, well, and you know, that means they can buy themselves a soda pop or something. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll be happy to give you a soda if you just, yeah. get rid of, you know, do it. And sometimes it is just that outside little motivator right. that just turns on what Whatever. they need. Right. Yeah. Yep. So let, let's, let's move forward then because they're all practicing. So that means they're practicing, number one, really cool repertoire because Charlene always has the best repertoire, it seems. Her, her students just shine. But then also you find repertoire that really helps them develop their musicality. So that's the other thing I'm very curious about is how do you help your students develop their musicality? That's such a great question. So when you asked me that before we were going to um, do this podcast, I actually had to think about it and think, Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
I don't know that I'm any different than anybody else. So then, of course, I made a little one-minute video, and I sent it out to a bunch of my former students and said, I don't know, do I do something? What did I do to help you do teach you musicality? Because I, I wasn't really sure I did anything that was um, that much different. Um, but and the feedback I got was so terrific. I felt like um, I felt like a superstar, you know. I'll, I got to hear all these great, great, sweet things from students I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, it was great. For me, what works the best in my studio is human connection for my students. I love all of my students. So I really want to know who they are. So when they come in, I always ask them who they are, what they're doing. I want to know what they really love and what, what things interest them outside of piano because, face it, piano's not their whole world like it is my whole world. So when I choose repertoire, I want to choose uh, something that's going to fit their, um, their likes. And then, of course, I have, I have really normal kids, like really normal normal, normal kids. <laughs> so out of my years of teaching, I've only had um, a handful that have gone on to study music. So most of them are just, they become really good pianists and they can use it socially when they get older. But as I choose repertoire, I just try to choose pieces that they like and that will match what their strengths are. So if I have a pounty boy, <laughs> if he's gonna play a recital, I'm not going to necessarily pick a gorgeous lyrical piece because he's probably going to destroy it and not be able to play that. He's probably not going to be able to play that really beautifully and lyrically. Now, will I ignore and never teach him lyrical pieces? No. Of course I'm going to teach him all of those things, but probably not for recital piece. Um, so I'll give him, a, I'll try to pull Rachmaninoff or some... Or if he's a younger kid, I'll just give him a big Wendy Stevens pound, you know, drastic measures or something like that. That's really fun. So, and then they feel great and they practice all the time. Um, and I'm sure most teachers do the same thing. When it's time to pick me repertoire, I spend hours and hours and hours. And I choose, I look at the child and before their lesson, I choose three options that would fit their level. A little, would stretch them a little bit. And then I let them choose of the three the special piece that they would like to play. I get them out of their ordinary things and they all want to play the coolest pieces ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure you do that too, right? Oh yeah. It's giving them voice and choice. I, I like that phrase. And once they take ownership of it, they're going to be excited. In fact, I yesterday, a little girl, she chose skeleton in my closet. It's by Winan Rossi and I've had it forever. And she's like, and the skeleton wants to get out of the closet because the closet's so messy. And she's like, I need this piece because my closet's really messy. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know that, but that's what's fun too, is I've never asked someone if their closet is messy or not, but oh. you learn things about a student when these pieces are fun. So it, it, it is, it's fun to find the one that connects with them. And she's excited and it's, yes, above her level slightly, and she's going to work hard on it. That's great. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just what they need is that mm -hmm. extra little, little push for that. So repertoire is great. And you know, when they, when they hear each other play, that's another thing that's awesome. Mm -hmm. When they do that hundred day streak there, they do listen to each other. Sometimes actually they play jokes on each other and try to be really funny. And that's pretty hilarious. The teenagers, but um, 
they, when they perform for each other, they, they hear all of this repertoire and they say, oh, well, I want to play that piece. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sure your studio has these two. Do you have those standards at Christmas time that they went, I want to play that big duet because that's yes. like, you know, I want this one or, you know, am I ready for that one yet? So let's, you shared some of the videos that your past students shared with you. And I thought they were so unique and the different things that they pinpointed. And one of them being that you made this young man play hymns. And he thought that helped him play so musically. Like I am a longtime organist and pianist and church musician. And I thought that was so fabulous. So what did you take away from that? Well, you know, a, a huge portion of my studi studio um, goes to a, our, the church that I belong to require the members to all pitch in. So there's no paid, there's no paid ministry. There's no paid um, musicians. So everybody pitches in. So all the kids need to learn how to play the hymns. Yeah. And, you know, it's really stinky to be this really fabulous pianist and this great piano teacher, and your students can't even play the hymns because they don't want to. And all these parents think hymns are super easy. And I'm like, mm, oh, they're not. Yeah. They're super hard to play. And you can't just take piano lessons for a year and get and you're going to play a hymn. you got to put a good four years in and then start learning them, and they're still hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was surprised to hear uh, Nick say that because um, – you know, his job, this student who said that, former student, gosh, he is now a professional accompanist for Ballet West. That's so nice. fun to hear from him. His um, experience having to listen for voicing and all of those things, it's true. To hear, um, to learn how to accompany and while people sing is a completely different skill set for playing on your own. And we're so bratty as pianists. We're so like, it's all about us. You know, it is all about us. <laughs> and these kids have got to learn how to start like following other people. So I really work on that. I have a hymn. I've taken a bunch of kids to Disneyland if they can learn a bunch of hymns and do that too. So that's part of every other year I do that too. So oh, now that is an idea because I need to breed a few more of me because I'm kind of a dying breed. As an organist, there's not very many of me around, and you're absolutely right. Hymns are very, very hard because you're reading four parts at one time, and it's very vertical, and yet you make, need to make it sound linear. Right, so, and the fingering is totally different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you can't just play pedal and cover it up. You have to, no. learn, how to, you have to learn how to do it the right way. And then once you do that, you throw singers in, and then the pianists fall apart because they're like, wait, wait, stop, I screwed up. Let's start over. <laughs> and they can't do that. So anyway, as I have my kids learn hymns, I'm kind of brutal about it. I make them learn it with an intro and then they have to, they have to play it while I sing it for two verses. And then I make them do it in a church service and video it and send it to me to prove they could do it without oh, crashing it, burning. My. And then if they can do it and it's pretty good, then it's passed off. So if they can do 12 of them like that, I figure they're, you know. 12. Good for you. And how old are these students that are eighth grade. playing this? Eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. I figure eighth grade is good. You know, they're a little mature enough to be able to start. Mm -hmm. What's nice about that is um, some of the younger ones want to do it and it makes them, um, it makes them have something to look forward to, you know, right. it gives them 
gives them something because not everybody, not everybody should do everything and get to do everything all the time. They can wait for, you know, being a big kid. I'm trying to think of what else the, I mean, you had beautiful, you called them eulogies from your piano. <laughs> like now you don't need a funeral because you heard what they're going to say. I know. But what else stuck out to you that you were surprised about? And I think that's what makes you such a fun teacher is obviously you engage with them, you connect with them. I do think that you like to move, you feel music in you. And don't you think you pass that along to your students probably through, that through is wet true. playing, right? That's true. I, actually, when I, um, so nobody can see this, but Leela, Leela and I are on this Zoom call and I'm, mm-hmm. as I'm talking, I'm like moving. <laughs> I can't help myself. But um, I can remember when I first um, learned how to actually use my body to produce a better sound and a better tone. I didn't even learn how to do that till I went to college myself because my teachers weren't so hot growing up. And I didn't, you don't know what you don't know until you, right. you know, until you like get it. And then you're, whoa, your mind is kind of, you know, gets opened up. And then anyway, so uh, I can remember all of a sudden being moving when I started to play. And then I thought, oh, if I could just get my students to start doing things like that and using their body weight to drop into the keys. And then, um, and then if they can learn to like, wait, Mm -hmm. wait, (laughs) if they can just Mm -hmm. stop at the end and wait and make everybody wait for it. Mm -hmm. Because when you make people wait for things, that's when they start listening. So those kinds of things, because usually they just want to hurry, 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 hurry. But if you can make them just savor and go slow, and that very last chord, if you just hold on for the longest time until the sound just decays, then you know you've got them. And then if you can release your foot and your hand at the same time and make it just be beautiful and graceful, it's the best. That's interesting because I love to focus on endings too. You want the audience at the edge of their seats. Right? Nothing's worse than seeing somebody get up there and play this beautiful piece and then they get to the end and they go, blah. Yeah. And their foot comes off and then you're like, oh, wow, that was anticlimactic right there. (laughs) Yeah. So. It's been so much fun talking with you, Charlene. Is there anything else that we need to cover before we say goodbye? Oh, I don't think so. That was super fun. That was so fun. Thanks for asking me to do that. Yes. Well, it's so neat because we see your personality. I've seen you so many times in presentations. So we know that it has to be a fantastic experience studying with Char- Miss Charlene. So now I think we all want to take lessons with you. And if, if we can't take lessons, we're ju- just going to be inspired by you. And I'm looking forward. I like the 100-day practice challenge. I like that hymn challenge. Mm, you're inspiring me. So thank well, you so much. Fun. So people want to find out about it on my website. I actually put all the details on the bottom of my calendar page. So I, all the details, just because my parents always ask me those kinds of things. We'll make sure to put your website in the show notes at key ideas uh, slash. Uh, I don't know what episode this will be yet, but we'll make sure that we include those. And thank you so much again, Charlene. And anything else that we should cover? Where can we find you? 
you're in Arizona. Are you going to be anywhere soon? Do you have anything you want to fill us in on? I have, um, no, like we're not going anywhere these days, are we? No, like, no. no, it's so tricky. Although I did, you know, finally get a logo for Club Piano. That was super exciting. Yes. Who designed your logo for you? Oh my gosh. Coolest. I went to Vistaprint. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I just went to Vistaprint and you can get a generic one for $20, right? Or you can pay $90 and describe what you're looking for and get like two edits or three edits, I think. And I, and they totally had it all set in like the, by the third one, the first time they sent it back and they had this really fat lady. And I'm like, ah, not working for me. You got to make her skinnier. And, and okay. <laughs> Probably too much information, but I'll tell you anyway. So then they had the piano, two keys, two keys, two keys. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, you got to have, it's got to be two, three, two, three. Okay. You got the piano. And, and then you got to have cool shoes. She has to have cool shoes. And I want a kid. I don't want just me. It's got to be me and a kid. And then I'm like, and I want a boy. I want a boy because I, you know, I don't want boys. I don't want to feel like it's just a girl thing. So they had, by the next time, they had a, just like I wanted it. So it's great. Yeah. And we forgot to mention the shoes. Charlene is well known for her shoes. I do like shoes. Yeah. And so I had, I had bags made and then I had masks made with my little red elephant. <laughs> yesterday, they're super fun. <laughs> Oh, maybe we'll have to have a picture of those too. Yeah. I'll, um, my first group lesson is in a couple of weeks. We make all the kids wear the little club piano masks. So that is a good question. So you are going to have group lessons in person and they're going to wear masks. They are. And that's going to be in next week. So which they all fall under the our Arizona guidelines. You know, every state's so different, but we are like open air. You know, I can, we can all be outside and, we're not all squishy and you know what I mean? True. But, and my groups are small. My largest group is six kids. So okay. I can keep them all apart and we can all wear masks. So it's all good. Very cool. So Charlene, thank you so much for joining me. It's just been so much fun. You're inspiring me and I'm sure you're going to inspire so many other teachers. So thanks again for sharing all your wisdom. Thanks, Take sweetie. care. We'll see you. Well, I'm not surprised that Charlene and I got carried away and it completely slipped my mind to ask her my spark questions to close the show. <laughs> I'll need to have her back on the podcast. She did let me know that there are two books that tie for first place that she couldn't teach without. The Pianist's Guide to Standard Teaching and Performance Literature by Jane McGrath and Carol Dweck's Mindset. And she gave me a great idea for another spark question. Name a favorite podcast. Turns out that her favorite podcasts are mine too, The Cult of Pedagogy and Hidden Brain. We covered so many inspiring topics in today's episode. Head to the show notes at leelavis.com slash heideas to find links to Charlene's site to learn more about her club piano. And you'll find links to her TCW theory books and of course her fabulous fabric keyboard. I leave you with this quote from Vladimir Horowitz. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary is practice. Take a moment and subscribe to this podcast so that you catch the next episode. And I greatly appreciate your kind reviews. Until next time, hang in there and see you in the trenches. <laughs>